Hi, this is Parker Bone III, and you are listening to the Above180.com podcast with Joey Serrar and Tim Berg. Listen up, bowlers. If you're headed to the USBC Open in Baton Rouge, make sure you head over to the first annual Jet Mulligan Classic, hosted by All-Star Lanes. Take a listen to this unique tournament format. Bowl four games and drop your lowest game. For more information, visit www.jetbowling.com or call 225-924-0124. The tournament runs daily starting at 9 a.m. A bowler using jet equipment in this tournament will receive an additional 20% payout bonus on any place they cash in. Looking for some added competition? Having a hard time finding a tournament in your area? Tired of all the added expenses and traveling to a tournament? VirtualTournaments.com was designed to allow bowlers to use their league scores towards a national tournament. VirtualTournaments.com has multiple divisions available along with brackets and high game side pots. Visit VirtualTournaments.com today for information. VirtualTournaments.com. Real bowlers, real scores, real money. Above180.com, taking your bowling game to the next level. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews and coaching to drilling layouts. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joe Serrar, another day, another edition of the Above180.com podcast. What a beautiful day it is here in Washington, D.C. How are things where you are? Well, Tim, I've switched time zones temporarily from the central time zone to the eastern, where you are, visiting my daughter in lovely Cincinnati. A beautiful day, beautiful weather, sunny. Probably going to be about mid-60s today is my guess, but as you know, any beautiful day in spring is greatly appreciated because... you know, typically we're battling rain or cold and clam, you know, damp weather, but it's all good, Tim. Excellent. Well, let's begin. I uh, got the latest edition of the Bowler Journal magazine. Uh, great stuff, as always, Joe. And I want to talk about people are maybe still kind of fine tuning their USBC Open arsenal. And you had some great reviews this month of some balls that people may want to put in their bag before they head down to Baton Rouge. So uh, why don't you talk about a couple of the highlights? And then obviously, People are interested in the full reviews of every bowling ball that you went through because there's so many of them. Uh, go to bowlersjournal.com, get the magazine, subscribe to it, bowl the turn- tournament down in, in Baton Rouge. But uh, a couple balls, Joey, that people may want to take a look at. Well, you know, one in particular, we've been getting a lot of questions on it, both in my pro shop as well as I've been receiving emails, is what is the difference between the new Storm Vivid and the Storm Virtual Gravity Nano? because they both share the same cover. Now, we know it's not a hybrid. It's a solid resin, just like the Virtual Gravity Nano, but it's a different core. So, you know, luckily I had the the pleasure of speaking with Victor Marion, who is uh, basically the boy genius at Storm in in the R&D department. And he explained it this way. The Vivid incorporates a higher RG weight block than does the Nano. So, in essence... If both balls are surfaced with the same surface profile, meaning the same sanding grit, the weight block inside the Vivid should create slightly more length due to the higher RG and a little bit more of an angular back-end motion. And, you know, what consumers may not always realize is the balls from the manufacturer don't always come with the same grits. You know, the Vivid comes at uh, 2,000 grit. You know, it's sanded with a 500 pad first. 
And then the Nano is sanded with a 500 pad, but then they go over the top with 4,000. So we always got to compare these balls with the, the same surface profile to be able to compare them side by side and see exactly how the difference would be. Now, regarding layouts uh, for nationals, uh, Victor and I spoke about that as well. And there's a couple ways you can attack these lanes. Uh, one way is with a layoff drilling. If you're going to play the outside portion of the lane, which I know, Tim, you and I are planning on doing between 5 and 10th board. Uh, and by layoff drilling, what we mean is a ball that won't jump when it leaves the pattern. In other words, just kind of roll smooth, give the bowler some mid-lane motion and hook, but not snap. Plan 2 or plan B would be to also have a, a an alternate ball balanced with a, a skid flip layout in case we're forced to migrate left of second arrow and play third arrow, fourth arrow. There you need a ball balanced with a layout that's going to create good length and a nice quick strong response when it leaves the oil pattern to give you an, an angular motion at the end of the pattern. Does that make sense to you, Tim? It does. So this would probably fit, uh, be a really good to bring this maybe with your modern Marvel. Would that, that be a, a kind of a, a one-two punch that you might want to use? And then also, I'm guessing for surface, we're going to want to keep it what it is out of the box. Is that what Victor suggested? Well, you know, it depends on, on your game. You know, if you're a speed-dominant player where you have, say, more speed than revs, or the, and you need help with the ball picking up at the right spot, leaving the Vivid or the Modern Marvel with box finish makes sense because they both have an aggressive profile to them. If you're a little bit either slower speed or have a, a rev dominance to your game and hooking the ball is normally not an issue, you may need to smooth that surface to either a, a pure 4,000 or put a, a light coat of mid-polish on the ball just to help it kind of scoot through that mid lane a little easier and not hook too soon. I yeah, know the one thing we've from everyone that we've we've talked to when you watch the videos online, it seems like you want the ball to just to not go sideways off the pattern. You want it to be a nice gradual move towards a pocket, uh, something that you're going to keep the keep your target in front of you, so it, it's not snapping on you and you're not uh, finishing off the target going making a left hand turn. I believe as Jeff Riggles put it. Right, and, and Victor and I talked about that as well, and it seems if you have a ball that snaps too hard on the end, you know, your mind and body will assume you need to, you know, bank it more through the front portion of the lane, and that's where a lot of the oil buildup is. So if you start sending it too far right, it's going to keep going right because there's good oil volume in the front, whereas if you can keep it reasonably more direct, it, again, it does help keep your break point in front of you, and normally... You know, the easier the pattern, the more boards you can cross. The tougher the pattern, the less boards you should cross. And we know this pattern, just from looking at scores across the board, is definitely not considered an easy pattern. Um, you know, we want to touch base on some of the other balls that were uh, in the April issue. Uh, Hammer has a new ball called the TNBA Rhythm, which uh, incorporates, again, a strong asymmetric core. It has their Grand Theft reactive cover and that's another ball that'll handle oil especially on the fresh uh, another ball that really hooked up strong is the storm major 52 that's a don carter series ball uh, they're introducing that ball in the wiseman and uh, larry lichstein's behind these uh, he's probably the designer and uh, let's say thought provoker when it comes to, to this line of product 
and it can, it features you know a, a tribute to Don Carter who recently passed. And uh, and both of these balls very aggressive. One received a 57 hook rating, the major 52. The Wiseman got a 51 hook rating, and I, I should mention the the Vivid rated out at 60 on the hook scale. So that ball can definitely cover some boards for those who need help covering boards. After the break, we're hoping to, to connect with Brad Kerr. Uh, Brad is a two-time Eagles winner with the Boulder's Edge Pro Shop, uh, won the team event back in 2003, and then again it was back in 2010. So want to connect with Brad. He just got back from uh, Baton Rouge, uh, hoping to talk to him about what he saw down there. These guys, they're a really talented crew of guys that go down there. They try to break down the lanes and, and play them as best as they can. But I'd like to, we'd like to get his thoughts on, on really what they saw, what they can maybe do, what, what pattern, uh, what they thought of the pattern. Uh, but that's going to be coming up next year. Uh, Tim Berg and Joe Serrar, Above180.com podcast. Uh, stay tuned. Looking to shoe up against the best in our sport? The Proprietors' Cup is a true megabuck tournament. It takes place in Dayton, Ohio, July 12th through the 15th. If you think you have what it takes to compete against the best in the industry, then listen to this. The Ace Mitchell All-Star Team Challenge is a place where your five-man team can prove it and win $10,000. Here's how it works. Go to www.proprietorscup.com to fill out an entry blank. The singles event is slated for July 14th, and due to high demand, a women's and senior Megabucks tournament has been added. Check out their Facebook page and click like. Again, the website, proprietorscup.com, for all the details. We're back on the Above180.com podcast, and joining us now is two-time Eagles champion Brad Kerr. Brad is part of the Bowler's Edge Pro Shop team. Uh, finished up at Baton Rouge this year. The guys shot a very respectable 30-46. Uh, Brad Kerr, Tim Berg, and Joe Sarar here. Thanks for hopping on with us this morning. Thanks, hey, no problem. Well, Brad, why don't we begin with uh, how you guys, what, what plan of attack you guys took in to uh, the USBC Open this year down in Baton Rouge. You guys have had some really solid uh, team play. So talk about how you guys were, were going to go into the lanes and how you guys decided you wanted to break them down. Well, first and foremost, uh, we had practiced uh, back home here um, you know, quite a few times, and when we got to the to the center, it uh, played a lot drier than we expected. But uh, we kind of figured that anyway. That uh, seeing it was a shorter pattern this year, we figured they were going to be uh, you know hooking a lot more. But uh, we started between the first and second arrow, and uh, decided that we were just going to stay there the whole entire time, no matter what. Um, but we didn't expect to see the ball hook at our feet when we played out there. <laughs> And uh, it kind of did right away, but uh, we stuck to the plan because we knew we had to move the oil to the left, um, and we didn't want to jump in right away and just, you know, create some chaos on the lanes, so to speak. So we stayed out there for seven minutes of our 10-minute practice session, and then uh, we bumped in a little bit just to see what we had. And uh, it wasn't there right away, so we moved back up to the rest of the practice session, and then uh, we started, you know, five boards left to where we broke down. So I, I got a question for you, Brad. This is Joe Serrar here. Uh, when you realized the lanes were hooking, say, earlier or more than you anticipated, did you shell down immediately, or did you just take some hand out of the ball and try and stay in that same place? Um, well, in our practice session, we didn't we didn't ball down. Um, we weren't throwing. You know, usually when you go there, we try to you know throw some dollar stuff. Um, 
but we didn't even have dollar stuff to throw because we knew that he didn't really have to peel off as much oil off the lane as normal. Um, so we were already throwing, you know, weaker stuff. When we started the game, I mean, I was already throwing a weaker ball right out of the gate. I mean, you couldn't throw anything strong with our, you know, our rev rates on our team. You couldn't throw anything that had, you know, that would normally hook. Um, I was already going with a shinier pin down ball just to start. So are, are you with any ball company that allows you to kind of, you know, promote them a little bit now? Yeah, I've been with Columbia for years. Um, they're uh, been been very good to me. I was throwing uh, in counter pin low, shiny to start. Um, well, not shiny, shiny. I had uh, just dulled it a little bit down to three thousand uh, on the surface. Um, I pretty much threw that the entire team event. I even had, uh, you know, after I started with one ninety seven, I gave it a look in the tenth frame with a pin up uh, dark encounter, which is a little more aggressive, thinking that I could get in a little bit and try to open up the lane. And uh, I struck with it, and then I went to the first frame, and I left the Greek church, and I put it right back in the bag and went back to the weaker stuff. Okay, so so you felt pinned down just gave you a little more control when the ball left the pattern more so than your pin up? Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's no shortage of back end on a lane. <laughs> um, like I said, this pattern really hooks. So, um, yeah, I felt that the pin down gave me control, uh, a lot more control down the lane. Right, and you know, after speaking with Mo and and Eric Pearson, uh, it's like bowlers going to the to the Nationals should realize, you know, don't just divide the lane left to right, divide it front to back, and yeah. You, in other words, we'll see plenty of hook down lane, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. You have no shortage of hook down the lane. I mean, the the pattern hooks. It's there's no question about that. The the whole uh, secret of doing everything is. And the big thing about it is that it, the pattern tricks you. Um, you know, typically when you see the ball hook, you move left. I mean, it's the first thing that crosses your mind, but if you move left, it hooks more. You know, so it kind of tricks you into thinking that you could just keep moving left and keep moving left and keep moving left and you'll get the ball down the lane, but that's not the case. Because if you move left and the oil has to move left, the ball is just going to hook more. So, so what adjustment did you make? You have to ball down and just keep staying to the right. <laughs> that's that's what's funny about it is you have to get it in your head to say, well, it's hooking. I should move left, but you can't. So you have to ball down and find something that you can control the hook with. You know what's okay. funny, uh, Brad and, and Joe? Again, is when we talked to Mo Pinnell way back before people even started bowling. This is exactly what Mo said people would have to do. Is he said you'd have to play the lanes kind of like how the left-handers play it most times. Is instead of making your moves left ball down so i, I yep. guess we're seeing what what mo said is is playing out true to form uh, i was curious brad you guys said you started out right did you guys try anything outside of five, you know around two three four two two three board did you guys have anything out there or was it even hooking hooking left off your hand when you guys are out that far well uh we have one guy that likes to play out there um kenny and he tried starting our Going out there when I we we had a, pra, uh, a practice session in mind of seven minutes. That's my goal every year, seven minutes. And uh, when we went to the three minute warning, he tried moving right out up out there, you know, by like one, two, three, and uh, he had he had nothing. Um, <laughs> kind of the first one, kind of scaled or sailed down the lane, and then the next one kind of hooked early when he missed to like three, and he just like. He just didn't feel comfortable with that shot, and that's normally what he likes to start at. But 
I can see where the guys in the lead had success because there's a, there's a you know a couple guys on there that are really straight, really straight with low reps, and then they have a couple guys that you know are a little bit you know get behind it a little bit more and they can play a little bit more in of off those straight guys. Um, and I think that the guys that get behind the ball with lower rep rates and are a little more straighter are going to have success this year. So, so Brad, if you could do this again, in other words, bowl this tournament again, what what changes do you think you would make in your arsenal and possibly the way your team played the lanes to have a chance to knock off that 3401? Well... First, I don't think we could knock off that thirty-four hundred one. <laughs> okay, that's, that's that's an honest answer. Yeah, but uh, I definitely think that we could shoot thirty-three hundred. I think that we bowled so bad this year with our shot making and execution. The game plan was correct, and even when we were done, we thought, you know, I don't think we could have broken down any different because there's just no other way that we, as a high rev rate team, could break them down any different. I mean, we played between first and second arrow. We had hook instantly there. We tried to move the oil left. We did. We moved the oil left. We were successful at opening up the lane. It's just our shot making and was not very good. In other words, we didn't pull good. Brad, do you think a team of five quality straight players, you know, players that are, are decent rev rates but not a lot of side turn, could really carve this pattern open? Yes, I do. I really do. I really do. I I talked uh, to our team before when we, we were out there with the horsemen at the same time, and I said, uh, you know, I thought that Henry Teets would be perfect for this pattern. And sure enough, the next day he shot 800. Well, you know, strangely, uh, Ron Volks uh, just agreed to be our guest right after we're, we're done speaking with you. We're going to talk with Ronnie. And, uh, and, and Ronnie ended up near 7th arrow in singles. But you know, yeah. you and I know Ron. You know he can go deeper than anybody without any qualms. And in team event, he struggled a little bit because that's not his A game to play down right. and in from outside. Whereas Henry right. Teets, Henry's magical. Right, but, but right. He was, yeah. he was, you know, on, on the video I saw of Henry, Henry looked as though he was playing around fifteen to seventeen, and maybe out to about thirteen when he shot yeah. that eight hundred. Ron had texted me that uh, Teets is deeper than ever. He's getting a nosebleed, and he was at 15. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe it. But, yeah, same thing with singles and doubles. We were, I mean, they're so dry. I mean, we were playing really far, and we had a nice look in there in singles and doubles. Um, you know, we were playing right out of the gate, you know, fourth arrow. I mean, it's the only place you could play. And, Brad, just curious, what sort of crew did you guys end up following for doubles and singles? As our, This is our last year that we're going to be not bowling on fresh for uh, for the double, starting of the doubles portion. Uh, did you guys have a, a good crew that you were following, or were you guys kind of uh, hoping for the best? Uh, it wasn't bad. Uh, we watched the crew before us, and uh, it was the double shift. We bowled the 1140, so it was two shifts of singles and doubles. Uh, we didn't see what happened on the first shift, but the second shift we uh, followed – we walked out there, and there's a bunch of guys playing between third and fourth arrows, so we knew that, you know, with those guys playing in there, that we'd have to just get left to where they finished. 
Okay, want to thank Brad Kerr for joining us. Brad, thought it would be great to get you on as you guys have a, a, a great history out there of, of playing the lanes. It sounds like you guys went in there with a, a good game plan. Uh, sometimes those things don't work out, and, and frankly, very honest on how you guys thought you, shouldn't, you couldn't have shot 3,400, which they're just some years that the patterns don't match up 100% to our game, and we just have to get as many pins as we can, uh, make all our spares, and not, not leave pins on the lane out there. Right, yeah. If we'd have done that, we'd have had uh, 3280 easy. And coming up on the other side, going to get the perspective from the 2009 All Events champion, Ron Vokes. Ron, uh, a teammate, uh, part of the Five Horsemen. Ron joins us to talk a little bit about what he saw on the lanes and about one of his teammates, Henry Teets, who shot 800 in the singles event. So that's coming up on the other side. The Above180.com podcast rolls on. This is Lee from BowlerX.com. If you're looking for the best prices and service after the sale on the internet for bowling balls, shoes, bags, and accessories, come check out BowlerX.com. We carry products from all the major manufacturers. All in-stock orders ship out to you the same day. And best of all, we ship your items fully insured for free. That's right. We don't charge for shipping on any item we sell. Look for BowlerX.com at the 2012 USBC Open Championships in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. In conjunction with the event, we will be awarding one lucky winner with a $500 gift certificate, good for anything we carry. Simply go to www.bowlerx.com between February 10th and June 30th, 2012 to register. We'd also like to congratulate John Tassano of Seabeck, Washington, who was the winner of our $750 Brunswick Arsenal giveaway. John walked away with four high-performance balls from Brunswick and a KR Strikeforce four-ball roller bag. BowlerX.com is the online bowling superstore and a proud sponsor of Above180.com. Attention bowlers, would you like to help your stability in your approach and at the foul line? With Stability Strikes Bowling Performance Sock, you can enhance your stability and take the edge off any foot, knee, or back pain you may have while bowling. The extra mohair cushioning in the heel and toe gives you the comfort and support to compete at your maximum potential. So go to StabilityStrikes.com today. Stability in your game is just a pair away. Joining us on today's Above 180 podcast is Ron Volk, friend and customer for well over 30 years. Uh... Ron, your day in the sun came in 2009 when you had the pleasure of shooting 23-21 all events total at the USBC Open Championships. Now, obviously a highlight of your career as it would be in anyone's. Uh, What can you tell us about this year's tournament and the pressures that kind of met you on the lanes? Well... I mean, as every year, you, you, you kind of go down with a plan with your team and companion team trying to, and essentially break down the lanes the right way to make the lanes more playable, you know, after, let's say, the first game. Uh, went down with our companion team, which was Mike Chop and a couple friends of mine from junior leagues. Uh, started out playing the lanes, you know, hearing from other bowlers that went down. Tried to start breaking the lanes down, going up six, seven, eight areas, you know, board starting there. And then gradually either two choices we had, either try to bowl down and not let the ball break as hard when the lanes start hooking a little more, 
or go to something maybe with a little more aggressive, bump in a little bit, and then send the ball to that area and see if that would work also. Uh, one thing we did really smart this year is we took advantage of the USBC practice lanes. They have uh, two pairs out there where you can rent them for an hour. We did that. Five of us, which on my team was Ben Haves, Henry Teets, Mike Jamros, and Kyle Gertson. Five of us went out there and we bowled on one lane for probably about a good half hour of the hour, just seeing how the lanes would transition and starting to you know break the lanes down from the outside. One good thing we did on that is found out how to transition on the practice lanes compared to the tournament lanes was real close. Right. Uh, now, we, now all, we should let the listeners know that the practice lanes that, that you know, USBC supplies, uh, Bill Hall runs coaching through there as well, uh, do play a little bit drier than the actual tournament lanes. It, did you find that to be true or not? Actually, I did not. I actually thought they were pretty comparable i mean uh when we went out there they they freshly oiled the practice lanes before you bowl and strip them and i actually from what we got done bowling we're really comparable i mean possibly a skosh dryer but actually what i found out is when we got onto the tournament lanes with our companion team having 10 people there i think they broke down a little faster on the tournament lanes than they did on the practice lanes because we didn't have 10 bowlers that's why we tried to you know was going with five guys and bowling on one lane. Right. But when we got on the tournament lanes, found out, for me, Joey, and you know this, I'm not the best outside shooter in the world because I kind of grind it up a little bit and get up on the ball. No, that, that's definitely that, not your A game. It's more your, your <laughs> that D is, game. That is, that is, I mean, if there's oil, it's great. I mean, normally when you get out there like that, there's not a lot of oil to hold the ball back. And I went out there and I stayed out there the first game kind of playing up, you know, six, seven, eight. Threw some real good shots, threw some kind of not-so-good shots. I only shot a buck 67 the first game in team, where we only shot, I mean, a lot of us struggled. We only shot, like, I think 927 our first team game. Yeah, yeah. Well, then Ron, all you at, need to do is take some wrists out of the shot, and you'd be okay. Well, that that's not inbred yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I said what happened was we shoot 927, and after the first game I told the guys, I said, guys, I'm going to move in a little bit, kind of like I did on a practice lane, and see what happens. I moved in a little bit more instead of going, probably I was throwing probably like 10 to 8. I moved into probably about 15, 16 and looking to like 9, 10, 9. Went with a little bit more aggressive ball, pinned down a little bit right under my finger. Ended up shooting 215, 215, but not carrying. You had a better look. Plus, I'm sure you felt more comfortable in that portion oh, of the definitely. lane than, than you did definitely. playing right I mean, Enjoy, you know, my game's probably, if I can get inside, that's where I'm more comfortable anyway. But, I mean, Henry and Benny still stayed out. They they bowled well. <clears throat> I mean, I was low on team. And like I said, I shot 597. Mike Jamrose, our lone lefty out there, ended up with high in the team, shot 650-something. But the, the lanes, just so you guys know, comparable from the practice to the tournament lanes, they were real close. I mean, I was pleasantly... Again, joining us on the Above180.com podcast is Ron Vokes. Uh, Ron, what would you say then, I know Jeff Riggles said that this was kind of like playing on the cheetah pattern. Would you say that that's kind of a, a fair assessment of how to how to describe it, how short it, it, it is? Right. I mean, I would agree. I mean, the back end really come out. The one thing you got to look out for, I would agree, it's, it's really close to that. You need a ball that can get through the head later. 
That's the one thing I found out in singles and doubles when we bowled the next day. We bowled at 11.40 a.m. We are the third shift on that shot. I wish I would add something a little more aggressive because I ended up where, granted, one of my teammates, Henry Teach, shot 800 in singles, but he's the man that can play, and Joey knows this better than anybody else. This guy can play on dirt and make the ball go straight. So Henry was actually probably playing 17 to, like, 12. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and Henry is a magician when it comes to, you know, creating length with a heavy roll down lane without any back-end snap. And, and Ron, for Correct. you and I to do that, it's much more challenging to our game. Correct. And I said Henry ended up finding a real nice shot. He moved in and singles were. <laughs> for Henry, if the, if the back-ends or the mid-lanes burn out, he can adjust by speed and just his roll to get through the heads. And that's going to be a key for a lot of bowlers going down there from whoever's going around Wisconsin and all over. And singles and doubles. Doubles, they, they stay up pretty good. You're going to have to go in a little bit more. But in singles, I had to, I mean, granted for me, Joey, you know me, I ended up probably getting into about 25 in singles. I had to move left of center arrow, keep my feet probably about 30 boards left, a center dot, and throw pretty firm and just try not to hit up on it so hard. The back ends were real good. It's just a matter of getting it through the heads to get to get it down the lane. Right, and and you guys did take over the, the all events lead, Ron. What do you think the chances are of winning that title, or at least ending up in the top five or ten? I, I my, my feeling is I I don't think it's enough. I mean, we I, like I said in my interview at USBC when the interview was, and Matt did that. I I think we're probably about 150 200 pins short. I. I still think there's some real good teams out there that, that know how to play the lanes and do the job right. Uh, we left a lot out on the lanes. I mean, it was great. It was a great experience. You know, we took the lead. But I said, I know through probably three or four of us bowlers, we've left at least 200 pins out on the lanes, you know. And I, I was pleasantly happy how we bowled. I mean, I was a little disappointed in myself, not making a couple better shots, but I, I thought it was very playable. It was a very playable USBC. I think the shot, if you go down there with a team effort to break these lanes down, I think you'll score very well. So, Ron, could you compare this to any of your previous Masters uh, uh, USBC Open tournaments that you've been to? Did it play comparable to anything that you recall? Uh, I would say pretty comparable to last year. A little bit, like, like I said, it shortened up the, the oil pattern probably by about a good two, three feet. That's where you can really notice the back ends. And like I said, from when I shot the title in, in, in Las Vegas in 2009, there was, that was a real heavy oil. I mean, uh, that's kind of my game when they put that kind of oil out. But comparable to last year, probably just a little bit drier. Other than that, I mean, uh, it's, it's, if, if you break the lanes all right and your, your 10 guys work together, I think you can make a shot almost anywhere if you, you take your time out there. So, so, Ron, if you could do this over again... And take your five guys out there, and and you know have your plan of attack and your your equipment arsenal with you. What ball changes would you make, and what lane strategy changes would you make if you could go around one more time? Uh, I think for team wise, I think it's just a matter of. I th- I think we went at it the right way to break it down. I mean, we shot nine twenty, which is terrible for our team out of the first game. We shot eleven ninety and another small eleven hundred. I, I actually thought we broke the lanes down right. I would have probably liked to maybe with – I came down with a lot of 
you know, pin under my ring finger, pin through my ring finger stuff. I wish I would have probably had some more balls pin up, something to get the ball down a little longer and maybe a little better. I mean, the back ends were nice, but I, I think the pin up would have got you through the head a little cleaner. Uh, other than that, let I me mean, just make better shots. I mean, I really think it's an effort to anybody going down there that they go take advantage of those practice lanes if they haven't did that yet. It's a great little practice session. You get the guys geared up for what you have to do when you get out on the lanes. Well, again, thank you, Ron, for joining us with some very great and interesting perspective. I know our team, we got uh, two times reserved for uh, for our 20 guys. We're going to do the same thing, like you said, really helps you. Go do the first session at night, and then we bowl the following day. So, uh, again, Above180.com, great stuff here, Ron. A great place. You want to check us out again, folks. This is the only place you're going to get some really great USBC tournament perspective is going to be here uh, with the guys who we just spoke to, guys who have been there, guys who are trying to help you go down there after they bowl and, and kind of learn off of their experiences because ultimately we here want to help all bowlers take their game to that next level take their usbc open scores to that next level and if there's anything we can do to help by having on folks like ron and, and brad kurt we're going to do that and we're going to continue to do that through the tournament so ron thank you for joining us today uh for tim Berg and joe Sarar, good luck and good bowling <laughs>